theyeshiva.net. Okay, page nun beis. The line starts. Mepchinas chitzonius shenasa makal elamis obir hainyan. Seventeen lines from the top. Obir hainyan. The explanation. The explanation in what? The explanation in the entire uh, point. The nekuda. The summation that has been brought out and that we have been exploring is how to understand what we call in Teres Hanister, Seder Hishtalshalos, the whole evolution of all the worlds from the highest to the lowest to the most physical and mundane and brute world which is called Olam Hasiyah, to be able to really appreciate how to, appre- how to understand Shem Havaya and Shem Elikim and Havaya Hu Helikim and the Tzimtzum, and the Hester, and the Helam. And the ultimate conclusion, that just as Koyim Inish adaita de Rabbe, after 40 years, as the Gemara says in Avodah in the beginning of the ultimately, the ideas conveyed here teach that everyone, Kol Echad Vechad, as he puts it, could unravel, and in a process called Archeuser, journey back upward, if you wish, or inward, probably be better word, inward, upward, really the same thing, and discover in every facet of their existence, which at first glance, and even at second glance, and even at third glance, is completely defined by concealment, because without concealment, there would be no I, there would be no identity, but nonetheless, that is only really a channel for revelation, and not only that, a channel to get to the ultimate core of truth. To be able to explain this, how does one reach this process? What are the tools for this? Till now, it's more hashkafic, it's perspective. Explanations, biurim, mishalim, the big marshal of the teacher and the student. What are the tools, what is the mechanism for this? So we first have to give an introduction, which seems like a completely different topic. Talking about Simpsum and Helim and Avaya and Elikim and Iris and Kalim and a Marshal and a teacher and a Helim. To explain the, the to discuss the concept of Nisyonis, which means tests. For who Mashakasov and this is what the Pasik says Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people in the last weeks of his life, Kiminasa Hashem Elikechem Eschem Ladas. Moshe Rabbeinu speaks there about a Navi who is a false prophet who comes and uh, really tries to derail the Jewish people. And he says, don't listen. And you have to know that sometimes God, Hashem, his words is he's testing you. That's one classic posik that says that there's a concept in life called menasa, from the word nisui nisoy. Or as we say every morning, from the word test. One is often tested if they're going to stand through What is the real objective? What is the divine purpose in life's Nisyonis. And everyone knows life brings about Nisyonis of one form or another form. 
big ones, small ones. Sometimes in one's mind, they're very big, even though relative to somebody else's may be small. But that's, it's not about comparisons, it's really about understanding what's the kavana el-yoyinah What's the purpose of it? What's the objective of it? In another place, elsewhere, in Svarim of Chassidus, it's explained a very daring, a very uh, audacious, a very intense insight. The call tachlis beguf that the entire purpose of this soul coming into the body, which is a tremendous descent, it's not a small yurida. Before the neshama went into the body, came down, it existed, it stood in a higher world. Sometimes we call it Ganeid Natacht in a lower level of Ganeid, and sometimes Ganeid Nalyan. As it's explained in Svarim, in the explanation of the words of the Mishnah, Da, you should know me, Ayin Basa. And it's explained, may ayin is not just a question, may ayin from where, but it's also a statement. May ayin basa, you come from a place called ayin. How can we call this place ayin if it's a place it's not ayin? And the answer is, it's so beyond our tangible conception that we call it ayin. Just like the Ramban calls creation yesh me ayin. And it's a very famous Lashen in, in Sif, Svarim of, of, of Chkira and Machshava and Kabbalah and Chassidus and Hashkafa. That the Bri is Yesh Meyayin. Yesh Meyayin is the famous expression that Ramban says, Beresh is Bara. That in Lashen Kaidish, the word, and the first Pasuk of Torah, the word Bara means something from nothing. Or as our uh, Latin friends like to say, Ex Nihilo, something from Ayin. So why would you call it Ayin? If it's yesh, I understand it's yesh, but why may I? Why from nothing? Why would you attribute to him the word ayin, which means nothing, absolutely nothing? One of the explanations is that from the yesh's perspective, the source is ayin, because we don't have the tools to be able to grasp it as a reality. Sometimes that which is completely beyond us we call nothing. Not because it exists less, because it actually exists more. It exists in such a powerful way that our tools, which are limited, can't capture it. So when we look at it, we say, okay, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You know, sometimes you could be, if, if you hear the, some of the greatest secrets, but you don't have the kalim to pick it up, you just dismiss it. It's nothing. What does the Gemara say? Nitna levu alashaitim. Latinoikis, right, from from the mouths, the mouths of babes, of children. They could sometimes tell you the deepest things, but it's without fanfare, it's without drama, because they themselves don't understand what they're saying. So it doesn't occupy so much space. So often, something is so powerful, but we don't have the tools to access it. So therefore, in our world, we call it ayin, nothingness. To give a simple example, which is brought in Svarim, and that is, if you're going to explain to your, you're building a sukkah, you're going to explain to the nails that there's a mitzvah, besunkas teish for shiva sem, and therefore the nails should, on their own, enter into the walls and do their job to fulfill God's mitzvah. 
Isn't that a much more powerful way to persuade somebody than to take a hammer and knock them over the head? Persuasion and inspiration is much deeper. This is a famous Yiddish expression. Apach fargate unavort bashtet. Apach fargate. You know what apach is? Apach fargate. It, uh, it, it passes. It balances off, especially if you're used to getting it. Those of you who had the schuz. No, you get used to it. Next, next, next. Okay, fin- let's finish. Get it over with. Skila, Serefa, Herik, Chenek, Dalad, Mrs. Malkus, etc. Avort Bashtet. A word, an insight. It, it penetrates, it permeates. Right? They used to, what was that song? Sticks and stones won't break. Uh, Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm. Right. As we know, that's the opposite of truth. <laughs> right? They used to sing that sticks and stones will break my bones, but. Uh, Words can't harm me. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. You know, you speak to children who have been bullied. Words are very powerful. Huh? Keep apam, yeah. Yeah. A krim from the nose, yeah. A krim from the nose. Keep apam arguish. Ubirtsoinam ikrushoy. Yaakov Avinu says. Words are very powerful. The Mishnah says, Basarim amboris nivra The world was created through ten mamaris, through words, and part of the message is it can also be destroyed through words and built through words. Words are very powerful. So the Chayra, knocking somebody with a hammer over the head and say, do it, seems very impressive. But it's much more superficial than if you can explain, because if you can explain, it's an eternal impact. If you do it through a hammer, it's coercion. As Rashi has the expression, Shetahe shall have his oil me'ilel. So Lechoyda, why don't you speak to the nail and explain to the nail that the sukkahs is coming. And the answer is, you could stand in front of the hammer and the nail for three hours and lecture eloquently, and somehow they will be unmoved. Why? And the answer is, because in the world of the nail, words, ideas are ayin. For, the, for Bar Seichel, for somebody who's, who's, who can detect intelligence and is sensitive, it's more powerful than anything else. It's much more powerful than a hammer. And you have to know what you're dealing with. So when you're dealing with a nail, you've got to use a hammer. But when you're dealing with a mind, you've got to use words. But in the world of the hammer, this is ayin, even though it's more powerful, really, than anything else. That's why we call it ayin. Ayin means, in my realm, it's nothing. It's meaningless. I have no relationship to it. Sometimes when truth is above me, all I can say is ayin. That's why it's called dejeshman. That's da me ayin bossa. The neshama comes from a place that we call ayin, which means its entire existence operates on such a deep level that unless you open yourself up to it, you'll say it's nothing, it doesn't exist. You may not even recognize its existence. That's how deep it is. That's what the neshama really is, me'ayin bas. And yet, and further, it comprehended godliness, meaning godliness was reality. It stood with love and awe, complete oneness, alignment with godliness. The expression of the Whatever it says, Amida, and you speak about spiritual terms where you're not, no physical sitting and, sit, sitting and standing. Amida means complete alignment. Nonetheless, the neshama descended, the seser madrega means 
through many, many secret levels, in a very complicated, intricate level, a descent, all the way into this world. Here it becomes remote from the divine light. There's no way the neshama in the body can detect and comprehend godliness the way it did above. As the Maimer has been explaining, the divine energy, the way it even comes in and shines in the lowest worlds, is with the epitome of symptom of restriction, with tremendous concealment, a ray of a ray which is external. As we explained, it's like the Rav who presents a ray of a ray, a little glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer. There's a light, there's the ray of the sun, and then there's the ray of the ray, you know, you make a copy of something, and then there's the copy of the copy, and then there's the copy of the copy of the copy, and then there's thousands of copies down the line, where you could, there's still a trace of the original, but uh, obviously the marshal is not, is not a very good marshal. But the concept is you have a light and a ha'ara, and then the ha'ara of a ha'ara, and the ha'ara of a ha'ara of a ha'ara. So it's all chitzayim. And even this light, comes in a very concrete and materialized way. In this world, all hasagas is called hasagam megushemes. Hasagam megushemes means a material way of comprehending things. Uh, a certain, uh, it's, it's a, a certain limited way. Very Everything is concretized. Everything is expressed in terms of akshama. Of, of materialization, there's a certain grubkite, there's a certain lack of inner deep sensitivity that one can, could, one, one could comprehend in this world. You can't even compare it at all to the way the soul detected and sensed spiritual divine energy in a higher place before it was encumbered by the environment, the reality of the body and of the world. You can't even compare the two. What we mean to say is that there's two major differences. Number one, First of all, in the Olam Elyon, in the higher world, the divine energy shines in much more revelation, a higher light that is revealed. And number two, that's, and furthermore, and it doesn't come out in a material, concrete, limited way, but more pristine, spiritual way. If we completely can't compare, even an Ashama that experiences love and awe here to the love and awe there, because it's a completely different type of Ava. What is more, that there's Bechlal concealment here. There's tremendous concealments that conceal completely the light of Hashem and the Kedusha, and you have to work very hard to discover it. So it's two differences. First of all, even if there wouldn't be a Halem, there's a Tzimtzum. Point number one is Tzimtzum, point number two is Halem. The marshal for the first is the teacher who gives a limited degree of the information. The marshal for the second thing is that even what he gives is completely dressed up in stories and anecdotes and mashal. So even the first one is enough to create a complete metamorphosis in the neshama because the level of intensity of ruchni is the way it comes into this world is infinitely inferior in terms of quantity and quality to the higher worlds. 
the similarly the, the, similar to the difference between the teacher communicating to himself or communicating to a colleague or communicating to somebody who's more or less on the level and then bringing it down level after level after level after level it would be like the light comes into a room and then there's a thick curtain that blocks the light from coming into the next room and only a little bit goes through the curtain and then there's another curtain what we call a parsa, that blocks the light from coming into the next room, and then you have a thousand rooms later, how much light is it getting? It's getting light, but it's getting a little, little trickle of light, a little tiny aura, because if it would get more, it would be blinding. So the fact that we're living in this world, every world is a descent of ur, madrega after madrega, to the ultimate symptom and restriction of the oil where one can only have a ha'ara, da'ara, da'ara, so as a result of that, the entire consciousness of the neshama, you can't compare. The consciousness in a higher plane is infinitely greater. That's the uniqueness, the moment the neshama leaves the body, the way it sees reality is completely transformed, because the layers of consciousness are completely on a different level in this world than already in the world above it, and the world above it, but that's only step one. Step two is that the light doesn't even reach here. Even the light that reaches is extremely concealed. But the light doesn't even reach. This world is a world of blockages. You don't even know that there's light. The teacher at least may be giving a shear. He may be giving only a fraction of a fraction of what he has to say. But he's giving a fraction. At least you're getting something. But what happens if you don't even know he exists in the room? Or what happens if it's all dressed up in Mishon? You just think it's a nice story. There's nothing else. And you don't even know that he's here. That's a second product in this world. In addition to Tzimtzum, there's also complete Helen, Hester, concealment. That's the two things that he says. First of all, the whole Hasage here of Alekus is Megushim. The way we speak about it is Megushim. Megushim means it's grub. Spirituality in our world relative to pristine spirituality is, is very coarse. It's a coarse way of getting it. Why? Because we're forced to grasp it through our tools. That's number one. Number two... Sometimes there's no air, there's only darkness. One doesn't even know that there's light in them. One may not even feel the Kedusha in them. One may not even be sensitive to any divine energy in them or in anybody else. And it takes tremendous yigiyah to even access it. It's covered up by layers and layers. Not only is the light restricted, and a little bit of it comes through, but the whole entity can be completely eclipsed. Those are the two major impacts that the neshama goes through as a result of entering into this world, entering into the domain. It says in Svarim, the Arizal and others, why it takes nine, why Hashem made biologically that pregnancy is nine months, it's a whole process. Each month is really a journey of the soul into a lower space until it can emerge into, into the world. And when the baby does emerge into the world, it cries for a while. So on one level it's because of oxygen, but there's also deeper reasons, it says in Zayar. So it, this is a quantum, quantum leap, and in many ways a traumatic event for the soul who comes from the world of Ayin and now one day enters into a new reality. And much of the tension of life, even though we're not conscious of it, is the tension between the soul pre-birth and the soul post-birth. Dame Ayin Basa the quantum leap from a place of ayin into a place of yesh, with all that that entails for the soul. Now, because we're already here, we're learning about this, like we often can't even, what are you, what are you talking about? 
Not my soul, maybe you're talking about somebody else's soul. My soul doesn't have any of these issues. But that's only because the soul actually went through this. And I may not relate to that state of, uh, that state of consciousness. All this describes a tremendous yirid, a tremendous descent. Hine, so it says that Kachlis Kavonas Yiridosa so in some places it says that the whole tachlis, the whole objective of this Yerida was the concept of Nisyanus. Shaboyim la'adam, which come to a person. We asked before, what is the objective of Nisyanus? And in us, and he, he started to say that in some places it says that the whole purpose of the Neshama coming into the guf, which is a tremendous Yerida, is for Nisyanus. Which means that there's something very, very powerful in these Nisyanus. What does this mean? She says, Shabayim la'adam, they come to a person. Shehem ibchines hesterpon. All the siyonis are basically reflecting concealment. All they're revealing is hesterponim, the hiding of the face. Kemoi bistalkus chayis hashefa. An isayin basically means something is being removed. Some life, some hashpa, some flow that a person needs, that a person wants. Is being challenged. It's being encumbered. You speak. You think about the nisyonis that a person has in life, whether they're physical or emotional or spiritual. They're inside of you or they're outside of you. They come from the past. They come from the present. Whatever it is, whatever type of nisyon, but the common denominator is it's always a hesterponim. There's there's a stumbling block. There's a boulder in my life. There's something blocking. There's something concealing. There's histalkus chius hashefa, the life force, the hashpa, the parts. Bimenias brias haguf. Sometimes it's an asayin in health. Person is struggling with their health, their health, or somebody who's their loved one's health. That's a very serious asayin. It disrupts a whole life. There's no need to elaborate on this, but anybody who's been through such a situation knows how it just. You know, life is going in a particular direction, and then one bright morning, a curveball just derails everything. One discovers a whole new reality in terms of health, a health challenge. On a different level, but it's also a big Nisayan. Financial duress. Again, for people who don't experience it, they don't know what it is. But somebody who doesn't know how they're going to buy a new pair of shoes for their children, or pay the month's rent, or even buy fish for Shabbos, and it's ongoing, it's, it's the stress of it, it's not just the lack of money, it's, just, it's what comes with the lack of money. Somebody once told me, he says, I have my own Yom Tovim. I said, when? He says, whenever the bank is closed. He says, when the bank is closed, says, for me it's a real Yom Tovim, it's called a real, a real Yom Tovim. That's just, that's my Yom Tov. I know, till the next morning, Alois HaShachar, Ken Shlofen. Okay. Miniyas Momen means a fi- financial duress. And all of this ultimately, how he describes it is, All these Nisyanis, it's not a physical challenges. They all block the light of God. They block, they cover the Oyrah of the Chiyas of Hashem and the Kedusha. 
one doesn't feel a close, one doesn't feel, one doesn't feel godliness here, one doesn't feel holiness here, one does, one does not feel sublimated here. All one feels is blackness, darkness, stress. And this is the real stress and anxiety of life that people deal with. In any, he just gave two examples, but of course, as we all know, the examples are quite uh, elaborate. The liyos meineya mibayusum ibachutz. They constitute a meneya prevention, either mibayus inside or mibachutz outside. Lamisha bol is skariv lashem ba'avidosay betfilu v'tera. For anybody who wants to come close through avoda, whether it's davening or learning chuli or anything else, mitzvahs, etc. Bayusum ibachutz means that there's two types of nesayinus. There's a meineya something prevents you mibayus internally. And mibachutz externally, like meniyas mamen, is something outside. A person can't get parnasa, a person can't pay their bills, a person can't find a job, a person can't find the right job, whatever it is, or it's not enough, even if they have a good job. So that's mibachutz. You know, it's the telephone calls that come in, it's the texts, it's the emails, it's the whatsapps, it's the, it's the bills that come in the mail. That's one type of meniyah. And then the meniyah mibayas. The meniyah mibayas is internal stuff. That could be like physical stuff, like he said, health, or other other ideas, which is what we would call psychological anxiety, emotional anxiety, trauma, pain, agony, suffering, internal challenges that a person has. On the outside, nobody may even know it. Right? person is, suffers with mental illness, for example, or similar challenges. These are things that nobody knows. It's not like physical health that people see and they can empathize and there's right away... You know, people collect. Sometimes people have such inner turmoil and struggle. On the outside, nobody knows. They themselves may not even know exactly why they're suffering. With themselves or their children. These are big nisyoyness in life. And very often people don't even have who to talk about it with. Because there's so many stigmas. And uh, you're not allowed to talk about this. And you're going to compromise the dignity of your family and the name of your family. Which only doesn't take away the nisyoyen. It doesn't repress it. It only quadruples it. Because at least if I could speak about it, you know, there could be some opening, some ear you could breathe. A person now has to keep it all inside. You sometimes see a situation that inside they erode, they they implode instead of explode. So these are all real hestate and real blockages that cover completely up the the light of life, the chius of life. person wants to get close to Hashem, how could he? There's so much pain and so much stress, doesn't even know where to begin. He doesn't have regular, huh? regular temptations. He doesn't. Regular temptations are not called nesyonis. We'll soon see. That's part of the. <laughs> that's part of the system. The regular temptations that we have, that's not called a nesyon. So nesyon is not a test. It's a challenge. A test is you have to know the right answer. Yes, yes, yes. We call it a test. But it's not really an exam. Yeah, yeah. It could be. You could call it Yisurim Shalava, but it's still Yisurim. The holding back or the R is a positive challenge, or the challenge makes is a quadruple because there's no R. What's the... It's probably both. Uh, probably yesh v'yesh. I mean, the fact that a person has financial difficulties, what? Because 
they have a the lack of R in their bank account. Is that is that how it? I wouldn't put it that way, but just to put it in simple words, every type of nesayin represents a certain uh, uh, obstruction in hashpa. A certain obstruction in hashpa, a certain chiyus, a certain flow that that either gets compromised or, or seizes chas v'shalom or, or gets diluted or gets derailed, etc. The lottery, I was supposed to win the lottery, he did. So the, the, he got derailed. Yeah, but that's not a Nisayan that he didn't win the lottery. I'm just saying every Nisayan basically represents an obstruction in the flow, in the flow of life. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual. Okay, fine. Question. Is there an interactive relationship? Like I got the expression, let's think good and it will be good. So that if a person focuses on the sign or a challenge, it can somehow intensify it. Whereas if a person accepts it, doesn't deny it, but recognizes that it is a good, that somehow uh, mitigates it? That's a true, that's a beautiful idea. It's a famous expression of the Tzamach I think it comes. Tracht gut wird sein gut. The way we think about reality affects reality. We'll see, we'll see more of that soon. But that's a very fundamental idea. Our approach to it really has much to do with how we deal with it and what the results are. Yeah? I, I didn't understand what you said with regular temptations and nothing to you here. I don't know what you mean. He wants to know why he's mentioning health and money. Why doesn't he mention every day he presses snooze on his alarm clock? Is that kind those are from the small temptations. In other words, there's, there's the daily human condition that we deal with. But sometimes there could be a Nisayan moral, and morality. For example, what Yosef went through with Ashes Petifar is called a Nisayan. Because, you know, he was put in a place with a tremendous test. It wasn't just every person has to choose constantly, right? There are situations, circumstances, where you face a real big Nisayan morally as well. But those are unique circumstances. You want to sleep on time, to be alert, you know, sitting here, understanding that's not an Nisayan. You're saying it is an Nisayan. Everything is an Nisayan. It says that's a time. That's a time. Yes, yes, yes. I heard along these lines, I'm sure everybody did, different stories of people that had, a, like, like the Red was saying, an inner um, challenge that was going on, a worry or something. Someone gave him a good word or did something good for them, and it changed him around like that. And brought him, you know. Yeah. V'she yamad b'nisayin kol meneo ma'akev that a person stands up with this. A person withstands the nisayin, the test against, contrary to every preventer. B'shvil zeh ha'yatachlu sayididishol aneshama. This was the purpose of the descent of the soul. Shaydeze balagili er elyon yos. That means that the power of dealing with a Nisoyan is so profound, it's so impactful, that it was worth for the Neshama to come down. And what does it mean to come down? It's not just you're going down a roller coaster. That's a dramatic drop. What do they call it over there? Those free falls where you have a drop. But you're dealing here now with a drop not of 100 feet and not of 400 feet or 1,000 feet, but a drop through all of these worlds. It was worthwhile to be able to give the person the opportunity to stand up to the, all of his tests and challenges. Because of the Gilui Oyer Elyon, 
the tremendous light and closeness through it. But this has to be understood. Why would this be the tachlis of the neshama? Because you say that through this, one reaches the ultimate air, the ultimate light, the ultimate closeness. Why? It's an impressive thing. It's an important thing. But as the Gemara has an expression, don't give me your bite and don't give me your honey. Don't give me your nesyonis and don't give me your light. What does it mean to withstand? Except that you're being suffering? That's a good question. What does it mean to withstand the nesyonis? Focus, to not give up on the art. So if somebody has the nearest mom say, let the checks bound, what's the stash? How do you stand up for that? Ayid once asked his friend, Yeah, what does it mean? So he said, I'll tell you, I do it every day, he says. I take a loan from one person, yeah. Then I have to pay back. I don't know how to pay back, so I take from somebody else. Then I have to pay him back, so I take from somebody else. And so I go to everybody, he says, I accept from this one, from that one, that one. For Umrin Kaddish, somebody's going to say Kaddish on the money. I don't know who's going to say Kaddish on the money, but somebody's going to say Kaddish on the money. Or at one point, I just tell both of them, I say, listen, I anyway don't have money. Why don't you fight it out between yourselves? I'm taking from you and giving to you. Okay. I don't think that's called. <laughs> they say a mice said that there was once a yid who uh, came to his friend. It was Edavim Kipper in the morning, and he says seventy-five thousand dollars five years ago. You have to pay me, Mamish. Such gneva, such sheker. What you did to me, you never paid me back. So he says, "Who are you?" He says, "What do you mean, who are me? I gave you money. You took it. You said you're going to pay back." So he says, "I'm going to check in my bichala." I'm gonna. They used to have. I don't know if you ever see, but probably some of you had it, or your father certainly had it. Little books with diaries, and you put everything in. Yes. The, the the iPhone destroyed it all, but there was the little books, and they would write in, and all the most important information of life, including the black box. Everybody's atomic energy was in that book. So he takes out his book and he starts looking. You know, over all the money, and he says, "Yeah, besgerecht, besgerecht. I borrowed a lot of money from you five years ago." He says, you see, you're shakran, you're ganav, you're goslin, you're lowlife, you were disappearing, and this, now you see you're right. He says, listen, listen, if you continue to scream, if you continue to scream, I'm going to erase you. I'm going to erase you from the book. If you want me to keep you in the book, stop screaming. There is, of course, he's not, you don't need a mimer to tell you that if a person has a health issue, they have to go to an expert. And as you know, there were shittas, there are shittas in the East. The Mepharshim bring it, the Venezra brings it, that hell, you're not allowed to go to doctors. They said, if God wants somebody to be ill, why are you mixing it? So Gemara and Baba Basra, Turnus the governor of Rome, told Rabbi Akiva, if Hashem made somebody poor, why are you giving him staka? Why are you rebelling against God? God wants him to be sick. God wants him to be poor. That's what he told Rabbi Akiva. He said the whole concept of tzedakah means there's no faith. You don't believe that God runs the world. You don't believe God wants him to be poor. 
person stands up, person is sick. God wants it. What are you mixing it? But the Torah holds otherwise. Virapa, virapa. So that's a Dover Pashat, an obvious thing that every person, according to their capacity, and even beyond their capacity, beyond their perceived capacity, ought to always try to do in their life whatever they can do to uh, eliminate the obstacles, the challenges, the difficulties, the pain, the stress of anxiety, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's mental, of course, whether it's health-related. And that's, that's, and sometimes that means being very creative. It means opening yourself up to new opportunities. It means, uh, it means thinking out of your own box, right? It means uh, consulting people that you may have never consulted before. It means consulting yourself in a way that you may have never consulted before. It means working through a lot of stuff. That's, that's a given. That's a given. In other words, we, we, are, we are not told, uh, turn your other cheek and take another smack. God wants partners, not uh, obedient robots. Partners means, yes, as Rebekiva told him, uh, we take, we, you, he said, you, you, how do you make bread? You take stalks of wheat, right? And you, you uh, remove the chaff and you grind the kernel and you turn it into flour and you turn the flour and you knead it with water and you bake bread. Where do you have the chutzpah to start manipulating creation? And the answer is creation was created for you to be a partner. Shutaf l'kadosh baruch hashem says the Tamedrish. There's a partnership in creation. The creation has an author, and the author wants a co-author. And the co-author, together with the original author, perfects the world. And that's why we build hospitals. And we build spiritual hospitals. And we build places where growth and transformation are possible on every level. That's Adavar Poshet. But that's not... That's, that, that's a Yisoyed in Yiddishkeit, Right? Pikuach nefesh, doiche kola kula, and your mechalal Shabbos and Yom Kippur, and the Kayin Gadol in Kaidash HaKadoshim, doing the Ketoris on the holiest day, if he hears that there's a baby who's in danger, right? And he happens to be in Hatzalah, the Kayin Gadol. So there's a chi of him to throw down the Ketoris, even though the whole world is based on this avoid. It's Kaidash HaKadoshim. He has to take the Ketoris and throw it down, and take the blood and throw it down and run out, Run out and get into the ambulance and drive to save this child. Ah, it's Kodesh HaKadoshim, it's Yom Kippur, it's a Kohen Gadol, the whole Kaisal, and it is a baby or some old person who already lived their life and they're suffering anyway from dementia. But if the Kohen Gadol stays in Kodesh HaKadoshim, he's called a Ritzayach. As the Shulchan Aruch says, I raise a Shoifich That's the doctrine, that's the theology that has guided Jews for thousands of years. That's the Yisaitis of Torah, V'chai Behem, V'loi, Sheyamuz Behem. Nobody says somebody is suffering. That's what God wants. Reb Moshe Leib Sasever was once asked, everything has a source in Kedusha. What's the source of atheism in Kedusha? What's the source of Rapikursus in Kedusha? And he answered, when it comes to helping somebody else, somebody says, you know, I have a problem. So you say, That's why there's a big God. Why don't you daven? He'll help you. So he says, here, you got to be like an atheist. Here, yeah, the, the, what God does, let God will do. He'll figure it out. What you have to do is, I can help, I have to help. I have to say, well, I run this world, I decided this, it's Ashkach you got to mix in Ashkach 
This is where apikursis becomes a very holy trait. And emuna becomes a toxic trait. There's times to give it over to God, and there's times to say, this is my calling right now. Moshe Rabbeinu could have also gone out and see an Egyptian beating a Jew and give a krecht and say, let's go say Tehillim. Golos Mitzrayim was exedo, it's my fault. And then two, two people hitting each other and then women being, uh, all these things, the first Jewish leader should have said, Hashgacha Pratis, like we always say, Hashgacha Pratis, yeah. <laughs> I met somebody the other day. He says, it's Hashgacha Pratis, I met you, I have to talk to you for half an hour. So I told him, I'm sorry, I would love to, but I shouldn't have an urgent thing I have to go to. He says, but it's Hashgacha Pratis that I meet you. I said, I tell him, after I leave, it's going to be Hashgacha Pratis that I left too. It's also going to be Hashgacha Pratis. Hashgacha Pratis is not when you, when you choose Hashgacha Pratis, it becomes Hashgacha Pratis. Somebody else, it's not Hashgacha Pratis anymore. It fits into my schedule, became Hashgacha Pratis. Hashgacha Pratis is also on the other person. Hashgacha Pratis. Right, so <laughs> this is not a game. So that Brachelib Sasevis says at this point you have to assume responsibility, and that's a very, very important. That's a very, very important side. Probably needless to say, but it's always good. It's always good. It's always good to emphasize what we're di- what we're doing here is we're going to the next step. We're going to the next step. The next step, as we will be exploring the side gate, the next step, minus Sion is dealing with time. <laughs> One of my smaller ones. Ah, yeah, <laughs> very good. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's what withstanding it means. Fine. What we're taught, what, what, what we're dealing here with is something. I'm not going to say deeper because the first thing is is. Is, is quite deep and very, very important. But it's basically the, the perspective of the internal emotional state of the person who's experiencing the Nisaya. How they handle it. Of course they have to do what they have to do. That's not a question. That's the first step. You always have to do that. Instead of sitting and crying, do something. But the question now is how a person handles an Isaiah. I'm going to conclude with this because this is a long discussion that we're going to continue tomorrow. said the following. As geld, hat Geld kimt and geld geit. If you lose money, you lost nothing. Money comes and money goes. As gesund, if somebody has a health challenge, that's a mm-hmm. significant loss because part of their life, their body, has been compromised. He says, even if not their soul and their mind, but it's a serious challenge. A health challenge is a serious challenge, at least for half of them. But then he said, You lose half. When you lose your courage, your resolve, your uh, mut, it's attitude. Mut is, is determination. Huh? Resilience. resilience. Yeah, very good. Your resilience. Mut, it's a Yiddish word. Memvav tes. The mut or the mit, the courage of life, he says you lost everything. Because that, it's not a tangible thing. 
but it's the whole approach of the person. Your will, your your your. Grit. Huh? Grit. Yes, your grit, your, your the oomph, the oomph of a person. The it's it's not a tangible thing. Oh, money is tangible. Health is also tangible. What did you lose here? But really, you lost the engine. You lost you lost the battery. Or to put it in the words that we're going to see is you you uh, you lost the ability to be able to find God here. You lost the ability to be able to find truth here to be able to find meaning here, to be able to find purpose here. And that becomes, in a way, the greatest tragedy because the person gets broken instead of being sublimated. As we will see in the continuation of the Maimon. To be able to find God there. So that's the Oris and Shepa that everyone's asking about. It's, it's, it's the mood. It's not the money and the. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'm not, I can't give that advice. That's what you're saying. Yeah, he's not going to be discussing if somebody has a financial issue. What do they do? They have to figure it out. I mean, to the best of their ability. But till they figure it out. Because he sent me by some the So you went Yidish Shalom Aleichem. Yes. But the They tell me. He said the Hebrews to the health and find them was a health. It's all the health. Pleasure to have you. He doesn't stop. Yeah. It's a good question. The answer is, it's uh, of, the literal interpretation is dame ayim basim etipas richa. The deeper, inter- not, not you're nothing. You come from a tipper, which the deeper interpretation is da. You should know. May Ayin Bosom. Yeah. That on one level you come from Ayin. And you should know that another, on another level you come from Atipas Rucha. And all your problems come from the fact that you can't make peace between the two. So either you run into the Ayin or you run into the Atipas Rucha. And if you'll understand that you come from Ayin and you come from Atipas Rucha and both are exist in your life and there's acceptance of the Ayin and the Atipas Rucha, there could be peace in the world, in your life. Verstehst? For the Balatanya. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's the in that context? What's the ayin? The ayin. The ayin is like we say yesh ayin is divine. We call it ayin simply because when it's not tangible, I say it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. You know, you'll put a t- take a little kid and put him into the most brilliant class in the world, and he'll say it was stupid and boring. Was it stupid and boring? It may have been the greatest ideas in his world. It was stupid and boring. There was nothing there. You give him, uh, you give him an ice cream that was interesting and very meaningful. You know what I mean? And some of us too. Some of us adults too. You put them in great places, it's nothing. You didn't give me anything. Why? Not because it's nothing. 
Because I'm limited. Huh? Why did you switch to it? So, so with standing, the, the standing in the soyan, it's not about. Of course, you have to try to change the facts. Oh, you said me bechutz. Like I said, if you're, tell, if you're talking about the anxiety of the soyan, then I understand. No, bechutz is the fact. Bechutz is the fact. Okay, so you understand my question. I mean, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, so we'll continue. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Page Nun Gimel in the Maimer, two lines from the top, the second line from the top. See, Page Nun Gimel, second line from the top. The truth being conveyed here was that, that essentially one can truly find infinity within the finite and as long as they can work to remove the blockages and the concealments, the marshal, if unraveled, will bring you to the nimshal, meaning that the various layers of concealment and experiences of life, all the way down to the most minute experiences here in this world, essentially are channels to connect to infinity, even if they have been obscured heavily and intensely, as explained in the entire conversation with the Tzimtzum. And to explain all of this, and the mechanism, we changed course to begin to explore the concept of nisyoinus in life, challenges in life, obstacles that really test people sometimes in profound ways. And in the, in the works of Chassidus, it's explained that it's the purpose, or it's at least one of the explanations of the purpose, why the Neshama came down here, which always needs an explanation why a soul that is so lofty and so sublime and so divine and transcendent goes through such a metamorphosis, such a transformation, which we call the Yeridus HaNeshama, the descent it's not a small gradual descent, it's a quantum leap. It's an enormous descent from one space into a completely different world. As he said on two levels, number one, even the light that it's capable of achieving in the body is infinitely inferior to the light it's capable of achieving and experiencing in the divine bosom, so to speak, in heaven. Because... Everything, all experiences of love and awe and spirituality, ultimately in this world, are obscured and they are uh, much more coarse. So even the Ruchnius here is, is, is much more coarse, it's much less fine. So you can't compare even the spirituality of the soul. But in addition to that, there's something even more drastic, that it enters into a world where everything is concealed. Even a little trickle of light you often don't see. Kedusha is concealed, God is concealed, the light of Hashem is concealed. One often has to toil very hard to discover that earth. So this Yeridah needs a justification. What's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of this descent of a soul, which is the source of all the tension in life, goes back to that moment that the soul leaves its natural environment and enters into this new space. And one of the explanations is that this is all for the Nisyonis, which it experiences only in this world, which means that there's something so 
powerful in the Nisoyen that it's worth for the soul to go through the transformation. We're not dealing here with a system trying to crush and and, and, and torture chas v'sholom soul. on the contrary. You're dealing here with a source of infinite love. So that means that there's something so powerful and positive that it's worth it for the soul to go through this yiridah, this transformation. And the truth is... Huh? Why does every soul not Every soul Well, every soul has its own journey, how it reaches its ultimate potential, no question. It has its own shlichus. It's not the answer. No. Understanding, yeah. And the truth is that in many ways it makes sense because we see that nisyonis in life are so abundant and so um, and they don't discriminate. <laughs> they don't discriminate. You know, every person you know, sometimes at face value you don't see it in other people but you know, the moment you get to know people and you get to know their lives you see every person has a, what they call a pekela, a suitcase that they carry, sometimes a few suitcases. And even if, uh, you know, the life of, uh, of, uh, of perfection, the life where everything is, is so smooth and beautiful and splendid exists in fiction, exists in fiction novels. It doesn't exist, very seldom exists in reality. And somebody who has such a... I, I still... Not, the only people I know that have perfect lives are the people I don't know. And the only people I know that have perfect marriages are the people I don't know. And the only people I know that are free from all of these obstacles are the people I don't know well. It seems uh, almost like, uh, I don't want to say essential to life, but so much part of people's lives. In one form or in another form. So this means that Nisoyinists are not some type of you know mistake. It happens to be my mazel, his mazel, her mazel, that mazel. Some curse that certain people have and they're now looking for zgulas, how to get rid of it. But rather it's an essential component of understanding the role of the soul in this world. It's a major component. And what that means is that every person will confront different isyonis till, till Mashiach comes when there's complete revelation. But knowing this is a comfort that the soul came down to confront us. This is not a mistake. This is not because you're evil, because you did some big sin, because you're a horrible person, or because you were born on the, on, in the wrong month, and your astrological signs have condemned you, huh? Have condemned you, or because of a previous Gilgul, or because your father, or your mother, or your teacher, your community, or if you have just bush a bad mazel that you had. Mazel literally means the constellations, bad constellations. Not that these factors have no influence. Of course, a lot of things have influence on people's lives. But ultimately, as he says, the purpose of the neshama coming into the body is to face down, to literally be able to look at nesyonis and face them down. But that itself needs explanation. What, 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 what does this mean? What is this, what is this positivity what is the growth that we're addressing here? So this is where he continues the next phase of the explanation. Acha'inyin who, the explanation is, the hinei, inyin hanesyoinus heim halemus v'hasteile. The common denominator of all nesyoinus, of all challenges in life is, they are instruments of concealment. They conceal. 
and they bring in concealment to life. They create uncertainty. They create confusion. They conceal. The common denominator of all of them is that they obscure, they eclipse, they cover up truth, emes. If a person would realize the truth as is, see the truth. What we call an Nisayan wouldn't constitute such a challenge. What makes it on Nisayan, what makes the challenge, a difficult challenge, a test, and often a very deep obstacle, is because that is what it does. The Nisayan eclipses the truth. It covers up emes. And therefore, the first Yisayin in a person facing on Nisayin is having the ability to be able to arrive at the truth, to be able to touch its truth. Withstanding, Oymid bin Nisayin means withstanding the Nisayin, we'll see what that means, allows the person to reach this truth. If you take one of the earliest Nisayinists in our history of the Nisayin, the test of Avraham in ur when he was in ur So Chazal tell us, Nimrod cast him into the furnace because of his beliefs, his monotheistic belief. Avraham was unaware that he will not be burnt. If he would have received the memo before, it would have been a very pleasant experience. Walk into a nice schwitz and eat uh, all of the fruits that were available there in the garden. It would have been a wonderful experience. It wouldn't have been a test. It wouldn't have been a challenge that could shake up his entire identity and faith. He did not know this. For good reason, according to nature, fire consumes, it burns, it destroys. That's what he thought. But now let's take it one step deeper. We know it's brought in Svarim, the Pardis brings, say for a Pardis of the Ramak, Rabbeinu Moshe Kortavera, and other Svarim, that Alekim is the numerical value of the word Hateva, nature. Hateva is hey, tes, veis, ayin. So ayin is 70, right? And hey is 5, so you have 75. Then you have tes and beis is 11. Tes is 9 and beis is 2. So it's 11. So 75 and 11 is together 86. That's the same gematria, the same numerical value, like one of Hashem's names, the name that we have been exploring in this mimer, which is Elikim. Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yud, Mem. So, Mem, let's go from the back. Mem is 40. Yud is is 10, so that's 50. Hey is 5, so it's 55. Now you have another 36. Aleph, Lamed. Aleph is 1, Lamed is 30. So 1 and 30 and 5 and 10 and 40. So you have Aleph, Lamed is 31. Plus 5, hey, is 36. The yud brings you to 46. And now you have mem, which is another 40. So 56, 66, 76, 86. So the name Alekim is the same gematria as the word Ateva. 
somebody once came to me after a shir and said, I, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but you know, you really got your numbers off. I said, why? Kim. So she says, Ali Kim is 100 and uh, Chvezvos, we, we did get 86. So I told them, I'm glad that you uh, say Ali Kim, but the real name is not Ali Kim, the real name is uh, with a hey, not with a kuf. So you're, you're giving us extra 100, you're giving us extra 95, but you could reduce it a little bit. So Ali Kim is Begematria, says here, says that Teva Begematria Ali Kim, so the person got very confused. Ali Kim is much more. Of course, we write it as Ali Kim, but it's really Aleph Lamed Heyud. What's the connection? To t- why is Ali Kim Ateva? The answer we'll understand based on everything we have discussed about Ali Kim and Kalim and Simtsum and Mashalim and Alemus. Because Vahainu, Shekol Hat Boyus Shabail, all the Hat Boyus in the world. Hat Boyus means like Matbeya. The reason a Matbeya coin is called a Matbeya is because it's minted, it's Tavua, it's, it's submerged, like a stempel. Huh? Imprinted, right. And that's what Teva means. Teva means like a, imprinted systems. These are the systems. There's the system of how water functions, and that's what all of chemistry tries to teach and tries to appreciate the chemistry of every single be every every single existence and how it functions and how the combinations, what the results of the combination. So it's called kolhat boys, all the hat boys, all the imprints that the Rebbeinu Shalolim imprinted, both in outer space and on our planet, the systems of the galaxies and the systems of the planets and the teva of the sun and the teva of the moon and its orbits, and the teva of the Yisaitis, every just the teva of every single nivris called the Hatba. All the imprints in the world, Zehurak, Mehalavushim, Vastenim, Deshebalakim, are essentially a manifestation of the garments and the layers and of concealment that are represented by the name Elakim. That's why Elakim is a teva. Shaideza, as a result of Elakim, there is so much diversity and the Hagbala and this finiteness every single creature has its orbit its limits, its definitions its limits, what it's capable of what it's incapable of its unique identity if the nature of fire is to burn the nature of water is to extinguish the flames here we're dealing with the nature is heat and here it's cold, chuli, etc. And the cetera continues the infinite manifestations of every single, the tev of every single existence, whether in the world of doimim, which is the, the mineral world, the inanimate world, the world of vegetation, the animal kingdom, the human race, out, outside of the, out, out, outer space, above the planet. Which represents, it's the name that represents pure infinity. There's no limit, finite, or diversity, the, 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 the distinctions. Hizchalkos is like, Hizchalkos like the word machloikos means disputes, but here it's not about disputes, it's, it is about, it's about divisions, that everything is different. The Mayan, water, the Eish, Klal, all these divisions don't exist. In the world of Yutke Vavke, Nothing is fixed in any particular way. So water may not extinguish, not necessarily, and this is the Pshat and the Gemara says, the famous story with Reb Chanin ibn Daisa. Misha al-Kamay Misha al-Shemen v'yadlik, yoy me l'chaymetz v'yadlik. 
The Gemara tells a story of Chanina ben Daisa was very, very poor. And uh, his daughter wanted to light Shabbos candles. There was no oil. She saw some vinegar. She thought it may be flammable. She put it in. She sees it's vinegar. And you can't light Shabbos candles with vinegar. Try lighting vinegar. She's weeping. So Chanina ben Daisa says, My daughter, Biti, don't worry. Misha Omar Lashem and Vyadlik. The same one who dictated, Omar, he said, to the oil it should burn, can tell the vinegar to burn. What is this, a joke? didn't know there's a difference between the role of oil in the world and the role of vinegar in the world. Wine is not made to be, you, don't put, you try putting your wine into your Hanukkah candles. You put a wick into wine, I don't know how much mazel you're going to have, that's what she was crying. But vinegar is a derivative of wine. When it becomes sour, he says, What Rebchanin ibn Daisa was addressing is the fact that Omar l'shemen v'yadlik. Omar is basara ma'moris nivra ha'olam. Misha Omar, that's what the Balatanya explains. Misha Omar l'shemen v'yadlik. Shemen is based on certain tzirufim, certain combinations of words. Just like mayim is based on its tzirufim. We spoke mayim. Even in chemistry, we know that every molecule of water is made up, for example, of two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. And the Hebrew letters of every word, the Omar, represent the letters that carry the divine energy that creates this particular nature on a spiritual level and then also on a physical level. And they're all connected to each other and they evolve from each other. So on the level of Omar, Misha Omar, Shemen has unique characteristics that allow it to be flammable or to serve as fuel as oxygen to a flame. Chaimitz doesn't have it. Vinegar doesn't have it. Says Reb ben Daisa, that's on one, one on the level of Elikim. The way Havai is channeled through Elikim, the way the teacher communicates his energy through the marshal, it obscures the energy. Now, fire is fire, water is water, vinegar is vinegar, oil is oil, an apple is an apple, and a peach is a peach. Everything has its gdorim, its definitions, and there's no way to go beyond that. But what's the emes? Chazal say that there were situations in history where fire and water didn't extinguish each other. We just learned about barot, right? Eish mislakachas. Betoicha barot. Rashi says neis betoich neis. You had hailstones, and inside each hailstone there was a blazing fire. So besides the miracle of having hail or fire, that the Mayim and Eish should coexist and not extinguish each other, is very strange. He creates peace in his heights, that Michal is the source of water the spiritual angel of water, and Gavriel is the spiritual angel of fire, they should be in a fight. Fire and water never get along. Either one wins or the other wins. They can't coexist. There's no shalom bias between fire and water. Nobody has ever achieved that great feat. Because if you have too much water, the fire will have to say goodbye to itself. And if you have a big fire, it will evaporate the water. And yet we say, Oyser shalom bimiraimov. The Gemara says in Brachas, If somebody sees a pot in a dream, I don't know how many of you dream about pots. Not pot, pot, pots. Not uh, the other one. That I know people dream about. 
הרי הגדרה בחלום יפיסי הפת, הטופ, הטופ, פת וטופ זה זל באויסיס, by the way. טופ, הטופ, תס אלף פי, מתאנדר את צירופים. So if you see a top in a cholim, it's apple You see a pot in a dream, you should anticipate peace. Vasepis. So it's brought in Svarim, I think from the Chsam Sefer, even earlier, I once saw, because Mayim and Eish can't coexist. Who makes peace between them? A top. Akhtera makes peace between them. Try having them work together, it's not going to be possible. One of them will be destroyed. However, the pot is a unique, a unique type of arbitrator. The pot is a great shatchet. What does he do? He has the food in the pot. He puts the water there and cooks up the water and the pot gets hot. And the fire under it could now coexist together with the water. And not only don't they obliterate each other, but they enhance each other. The water gets enhanced by the fire because it gets warmed up and it can cook the food. And the fire ultimately serves its purpose to be able to create fuel and energy for people to have food, to be able to eat, and to be able to live. Water can only exist through a keli. Right. Mm-hmm. Always in a keli, through a keli. It has to, there has to be a mechitza. And this is a very important idea in the world of Elikim. This is the, what we call boundaries. Sometimes you think you remove mechitzas, all types of mechitzas. And you create peace in the world. What do you need mechitzas? In shul you have mechitzas. In relationships you need mechitzas. Who needs mechitzas? Why do we need walls? Why do we need partitions? Remove all the walls. Remove all the boundaries. And the world will be as one. Imagine no walls, no boundaries, no partitions. Nothing. Everybody is one. But the truth is that what that does is it doesn't create peace. It creates much more disharmony. In the beginning, it look, could look like it's so beautiful. Like we know in any, every marriage, every marriage needs to, people have to come together. But if there's no boundaries, if two people decide we're completely one, everything is one and the same, and there's no respect for the individuality of the other, ultimately, the two will choke each other and one will be obliterated, it will become too difficult. Because what happens is, Elohim creates differences, and you have to recognize those boundaries. You have to recognize and respect the individual distinctiveness. And if we make believe they don't exist, what often happens, even if in short term, it may seem very promising, but long term, it could become dangerous. It's much like taking away the pot, and saying, we don't want a mechitza anymore. We want the fire and the water to make peace with each other. The problem is, for fire to be fire and water to be water, you have to recognize the distinctive qualities and be able to work with each one's nature. That's the product of Shem Elikim, which is a real shame that creates all of the distinctions in the world. But then we say there's Oyser Shalom Bimraimov. What's Oyser Shalom Bimraimov? That Bimraimov, there's peace between fire and water, spiritual fire and water. Michal Sar Shalesh and Michal Sar Shalam Gavriel Sar Shalesh. Ule Pa'amim, Ha'esh Tzayda Fesamayim, Kemay Be'eliyahu. In Tanakh, we see the story of Eliyahu Anavi in Harakarmel. You know the story of Malachim, what is Perikid Zayin? Where Eliyahu Anavi challenges the 400 prophets of the Baal to a, uh, to a uh, religious duel 
and basically they have to each offer an animal a sacrifice without fire, without having fire, and besiege their God to bring down a fire. And what happens is, they offer, they take two bulls, it's the Haftarah of Parshas Kisisa. And they offer it, and they're screaming and hollering and, and scraping their skin, and they're trying to get a fire, and Eliyahu Anovi says, scream louder, maybe your God is sleeping, maybe your God is in the bathroom, maybe he's on vacation, maybe he took a nap, why don't you scream louder? And so Helfnisht, there's no fire. And then Eliyahu Anovi poured water on the altar, which naturally, even if there was a fire, wouldn't be able to take root, because it was full of water. And nonetheless, that's what he says, Despite the fact the fire descended and all the, na- the whole nation screamed, Hashem hu elikim, and so forth. Now, we read all these stories, everyone here, or many of us, or some of us, grew up with these stories. In Chumash, we learned about the hail and the, the fire, and sticks become snakes, and snakes become sticks, and water becomes blood, and blood becomes water, and frogs emerge, and you hit a frog and you have more frog, etc. Many people, how do you understand this? How do we understand it? So it's like, it's cute magic tricks. It's, it's like magic, more tricks, more, everything, all tricks. Eliyahu Anovi did another, the Tanakh is filled with such tricks that don't stop. Some some people more, some people less, especially Eliyahu Anovi and Elisha, who even did double of Eliyahu Anovi and so on and so forth. But the truth is, how do we understand, what is a miracle in Yiddishkeit? What does it mean, a miracle? Somebody once asked me in a shir, he said, it's funny, he was here for a while, he was here a year or two. He said, it's funny, I never heard you tell a story of some miracle of the Baal All I grew up was, they told me the Baal his horses used to fly. <laughs> that was the only thing I knew. There was no, all miracles. I never hear you tell us just... You speak about the Baal Shem Tov and you just don't tell miracle stories. Why not? So I told them, I don't know, I, don't, I didn't have some achshava, why not? But the greatest miracle of the Baal Shem Tov was the Baal Shem Tov himself. <laughs> Far greater than any miracle he did. The greatest miracle of the Baal Shem Tov is the fact that there was a person like the Baal Shem Tov that came into this world and became the person who he became and taught what he taught and did what he did all the way But the truth is, there's something more. The way we often understand miracles is very, very childish. It's like a cartoon, extremely primitive. And very often when people become older, and you know, I hear this from a lot of people, they go by this, it's all fairy tales, isn't it? Do you, are you supposed to believe any of this? It's one of the things that shakes up people because it's like, okay, somebody told me, he asked his father, how do you know that God exists and God is real and Yiddishkeit is real? Uh, father here, Monsia Hasidic Jew. So his father said, because I saw by my Rebbe, who lived in Monsi for many years, I saw miracles. So obviously uh, he's real because you can't just do miracles without it. So this, his son says, Why don't I never, I never saw from that person any miracles? I never saw anything that's a miracle. So he says, Well, in my, when I was younger, there were miracles. So the son said, When did it stop? So it's the day you were born. <laughs> so he, he says, why, why, why? Why did it stop the day I was born? He says, because you're an apikairis. Because <laughs> you're a heretic. So the day you were born, all the miracles stopped. 
So he told me that he told his father that, you know, that any intelligent person who listens to the conversation understands that your whole faith is based on a, a hollow, shallow egg. It's like an egg without anything inside. Isn't it strange that the day I was born, all miracles stopped? And suddenly I'm not privy to any information that you're privy to, but I have to trust you about these miracles. So the father told him, you don't belong in my house. And that was the end of the conversation. So what happens is one has to be very careful and sensitive because when we don't understand miracles and nature and the proper approach, so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's cute games. Like people would tell their children at Eliyo Hanavi, somebody sent out a, a message before Pesach, that his father every year used to say that Eliyo Hanavi comes after the Seder, in the middle of the night, and he drinks up the wine, but nobody could see, because it's a private thing, and that's why in the morning, the cup of Eliyo was empty. So this boy, fine boy, seven years old, decided he's going to stay up a whole Pesach night to be able to see Eliyo Hanavi drink the cup. And he stayed up. And his mazel, the place where they used to keep the cup of Elio, was in his room. So he didn't even have to go out of bed. He could be under the blanket, stay up. And indeed, around an hour or two hours after the Seder, he hears footsteps. Elio Hanavi is about to come in. He's excited. Anyway, Papa comes in, Tati comes in, takes the cup, pours it out, cleans it up, and puts it back. And he says, he described his, the emotional letdown. The emotional letdown. And he says, my father meant well. He was trying to inculcate a muna in me. And Elio Anavi comes and he drinks. But he didn't realize, the moment you say something that's not true to a child, ultimately, they will de- often delegitimize everything else you said. Noah Yungaman also from a very fine person. And in 1969 in July... In August, uh, Armstrong, uh, Neil Armstrong uh, landed on the moon. Three people landed on the moon in the famous first moon landing of 69. He was in, this was in the summer, uh, I think July or August 69. And uh, in the summer, so uh, I think they started yeshiva right then or soon after. So he turned to his teacher and he said, How do we say in Kiddush Lavana, Keshem Shani Roikit Kenegdech, Ve'eni Yochel in Goya, Bach. I dance in front of you and I can't touch you. The Chazal were writing something that is inconsistent with reality. Not only can you touch the moon, you could stand on the moon and even bring down earth from the moon and even uh, etch an American flag into the moon. So the teacher turned to this nine-year-old boy and he said that this was a lie. The Goyim, and he used one more group, I'm not going to say the name, but the Goyim made a Yad Achas with another group, and Hollywood Hollywood produced a mythical reality of going on the moon. It never happened. This is a lie. It never happened. That's what he said immediately with a straight face. So the boy, who's today a grown-up fellow, a grandfather with a family, said, you don't understand, at that moment, everything I learned till the age of nine, I defined in my mind as one big lie. Because I knew he was lying, and lying with a straight face. So I said, that means Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is a lie. Everything is a lie. In that moment, I was nine years old, I was a baby. But it was all over for me. It was all over. It took him decades of, of, of inner turmoil to go back and have the courage to maybe revisit Judaism. So I told the person, miracles 
the miracles in Torah are emes, they're true. But we often have a very childlike perspective, and then at some point, very often, people have to now negotiate between two realities. Like my mature, developed reality, respect for science, respect for physics, respect for the laws of nature, and then all the stories that they taught me with the coloring books about the early sages or the later sages, for example, the Baal Shem Tev and, 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 and his ilk, etc. Now, when we, however, understand reality from a deeper perspective, it falls into place. And what do I mean it falls into place? Teva is a very serious thing. Nature is not a game. That's why we say, and we all know that. And somebody who decides that nature doesn't exist and only miracles exist, first of all, they may be delusional, but also, it's, it's not according to Torah. And the Gemara even describes in Masachis Megillah and other places about miracles that happened. There was somebody who had a great miracle, his wife died, that he nursed, and it was a good thing or a bad thing. Okay, it was Machlikas. But in any case, there's a, there's a famous Iran, Drasha Saran, Drasha Ches, who says, Hateva Chaviv Be'inei Amokram. The Teva has, has, a, has a special value in the eyes of God. You don't just, uh, nature is also divine. But we have to now understand the oymik of this. All of nature is serious as a result of Shem Alakim. Because Shem Havai Yutke Vavke is screened and filtered and obscured through the Kalim of Alakim. And what Alakim does is creates his Schalkus. It creates diversity and it creates Hagbola. It creates finiteness. Just like the teacher cannot share his infinite wisdom, he has to tailor make it to the capacity of the student and has to dress it up and only give a little, little trickle so the energy of infinity comes in into every nivra in a very limited way and that creates the structure of that particular existence. And that's how it operates, that's how it functions, and that's how it achieves its tafkid. And you have to respect those boundaries within yourself and within somebody else and within the world. That's very true. Then there's another concept... And it's also true. Reb Chanina ben Daisa tells his daughter, Why are you taking oil so seriously? Whoever said that the oil could burn, he can also decide that the vinegar should be burning. What is Reb Chanina ben Daisa saying? Reb Chanina ben Daisa is saying you have to appreciate a deeper truth as well. And what's the deeper truth? This is the next step. Because all these stories is Lamailam and Ateva. Which one is true? When you're talking about existence from the perspective of Havai, from the perspective of the teacher, we now go back to the marshal again. When the student hears a metaphor, all he has is the metaphor. He doesn't have the original wisdom. But for the teacher, there's no concealment. Why is there no concealment? Because within the trickle of light, within the message that he gives to the student, the whole depth is there. So therefore, he never gets stuck in the rigidness of the message or in the, or in the tzimtzum of the message. The full infinity is there. From the student's perspective, it's a tzimtzum. So mitzat shem havaya, oirein tzayfa bilti balgvo. The Eirin Saif, which is infinite, where there's no limit of Teva, because that's what Bilti Balgvul means. Bilti Balgvul means it's limitless. 
Limitless means it doesn't have limitations, doesn't have a certain chemistry. It's not defined this way or this way. But the world runs according to the finite, rigid structures created by the channels of Elikim. Each existence according to the energy and the chemistry that Elikim represents. Everyone, every living organism has its brain, the capacity of its brains. It has its DNA structure, which basically makes up for the physiological structures of this particular existence and its capabilities, its great virtues, its limitations. That's Shema Lekim. Just like the teacher who channels and limits the information and obscures it so that this student should be able to retain it according to his capacity. You give him everything, you give him the full infinite depth, and you're left with nobody. He'll just shut down. And you dress it up, and there's Mishalim, and he doesn't even see the full the full picture. When we look at the world, what do we see? We see a very fixed world that runs according to the laws of nature. It's mechanical, it's teva, you have to know this is this. This is this, this is how they combine, this is how they don't combine, etc. Even though Yutke Vavke is the one who brings it into being. Every, everything that it comes into existence is through the revelation of the activating power, which is Yutke Vavke. As explained above. That's true. But it's Havaya the way it comes through Elikim, meaning Bebchinis Helem Vehester, so it's eclipsed, it's concealed, Lovey Bebchinis Gvul, for who Inyan Gvul Hateva. And these are the boundaries that we call Teva. There's an imprint. What's an imprint? These are your boundaries. The Yam has its boundaries, and the Yabosh has its boundaries. And if a person says, I'm an amphibious creature, and you decide to spend the rest of the life, your life in the Atlantic Ocean, without a boat, we know the results. But on the other hand, if the fish decides, I love, I love the beach, not what is above, beyond the beach. I love the beach itself, meaning the sand on the beach. We know what happens to that fish. In other words, there is Hagbola. What's that Hagbola based on? Everything is Havaya. Everything is infinite. That's true. From the teacher's perspective, even the little limited information that he gives and the concealments, we said before, it's not a concealment. Why? Because he sees the whole infinity in that. So he's never encumbered by it. But from the student's perspective, the student's perspective is, this is the little information I have. This is what I can maintain in order for me to retain my eye. Now this is only a marshal, because again, the teacher doesn't create the student. But what happens if the information would create the parameters of the student? Right? That's what Elikim is. It doesn't only give a shear. Shem doesn't only give a shear. The shear is what creates the world. Shear means measurement, size. Shear, size. That it's the divine energy that comes in a particular size. It comes packaged in a particular way. These are your borders. These are your boundaries. Physical boundaries, psychological boundaries, emotional boundaries. These are the boundaries. Every nivra has it. Bemela, Water is water and fire is fire. Water extinguishes and fire burns. So why the Okay, I'm in it. I'm in it. So Teva is very real. 
not a fake thing, the hidden Teva. It's not a fake thing, delusional. Teva is real. It's the system of Havaya being communicated through Elikim. Elikim is Hateva. And that's the beauty. You see that the Gematria is not a Pastam in Elikim, Hateva. Hateva is Elikim. Elikim describes what Teva is. That's why it's the Gematria. What is Teva? Teva is Elikim. It's the way Shema Vaya is channeled. Just like you'll have sometimes, uh, they, they, they were talking about the Nile River these weeks, the Nile River, right? So Rashi explains, and this is everybody who knows about the Nile knows, that the Nile flooded for thousands of years. Every August it floods because Egypt was, was parched, parched, it's parched earth, there's no rain, almost no rain in Egypt. So the, the Nile, the Nilus was its, literally, it's, 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 it saved its civilization. And during the flood, during the flood, at the end of the summer, they, they, created, early, they created canals, canals, and the water would flow through these canals and they would bring them to farms and fields and, and homes and neighborhoods. This is how they had water to drink. This is how they could plant and produce and grow. This is how they could make uh, boats and, and papyrus and, and, and reeds, etc. Their whole civilization was based on the Nile. That's why they turned the Nilus into a god. So you have a, a huge river. The Nile goes for 4,200 miles. It's a, probably the longest river in the world. So the Nile River, it's so big, it's so huge. If it would flood, what do you do with this water? It's overwhelming. But you create a ditch, and you metsamtsam the water, you restrict the water, and a little, little trickle of water comes, and now it goes into your farm, and it gives you exactly what you need to be able to grow your crop. If the Nile would flood your field, that would be the end of the field. It's called a shitofoin. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plague. But your mitzamtzimit, so now your little, your little farm can get the water it needs, not too much, not too little. I don't know if you know that in a, it's a, just an interesting topic. I don't want to get much off subject. There's a, there's a famous book that recently came out. It's called Let There Be Water. Let There Be Water. Israel, over the last few decades has done unbelievable things in, in terms of saving up water. Basically, they saved 50% of the water that they had by figuring out, it's a whole story, there was a particular Jew who figured it out. He tried for decades and they rejected him, but he ultimately prevailed. That the water that we use to water farms and fields, most of it goes to waste. Because you water a field, but most of the water is not needed. What if you can create pipes that bring the water to every tree, every root individually, so you save 50% of the water. And on the other hand, it also, it also produces much better growth because it's tailor-made to it. So they got 50% more water. Israel has a struggle with water. And they're now teaching it to many other countries. South Africa recently had a drought, uh, Cape Town. But South Cape Town refused to get direction from Israel, of course, because apartheid. Okay, but that's a separate sugi. But what do you see from here? You take the Mayim, right? You channel it. You have to limit it. And if you give me too much, I can't exist anymore. The, 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 the earth drowns. Again, this is a mushal. But the mushal is a very important mushal. Shem Havaya is everything. It's infinity. There's no structures. In the world of no structure, Teva doesn't exist. Teva is imprint. It's rigid. This is my matbeya, this is your matbeya. And it's very important. One of the worst things you can do to a government is mint your own coins, print your own dollars, counterfeit money. This is a matbeya, this is the imprint, this is the seal. 
Tamar wanted a collateral from Yehuda, one of the things she wanted was Chaysamcha. I want your seal, your matbeya, your imprint. This is the imprint. This is the way it's channeled. But again, in the marshal, we're always dealing with two separate things. There is the field and there is the water. And the field needs just enough water, not too much water. But what, and this is where you have to uh, do a little mental gymnastics, and that is, what if the water didn't come to the field? The amount of water created the field. The field was a response. The very reality of the field was a response to the amount of water. The teacher is not giving a shear to the student. His shear is creating the identity of the student. Imagine, imagine, you created children, okay, through words, okay? And the type of words becomes the type of child you create. What would it look like? You'd be careful with your words. We, we, we don't think of this. How do we create children? So God made this whole biological miracle of how children are created. So people don't realize their influence over there because it seems like just you know some physical, uh, physical procedure with a tipper, with a sperm and an egg, etc. From a spiritual perspective, imagine there's an energy that you're communicating and that energy is creating the child, the soul of the child, the brain of the child, the physical reality of the child. But what type of child? The child is based on those words. What is conveyed in those words? So that's how we have to understand the nimshal. The divine energy creates the world. In other words, the tzimtzum and the helim, right? It's not just, it fits the teva. That's what creates the teva. And each nivra has its own tzimtzum that creates its teva. So that's what Elikim does. In that sense, teva is very real. And then you have Shemavaya. And what's Shemavaya? Shemavaya is the source of Elikim. Vihine. Avraham Avraham never thought that he is going to experience that which is beyond nature. Avraham realized that probably he will be killed. Now he withstood a tremendous test. What was the test? To say yes to truth or to say no to truth. Avram Avinu decided to withstand the test, Nifred not to separate himself from truth, from, ash, from godliness. He had tremendous obstacles. The natural, easiest thing for him to do, the more comfortable thing would be let go. Give up what you think, give up what you believe. You have so many challenges, you have so much adversity. Let go. Just surrender. They want to kill him. He doesn't. All of these concealments that he's experiencing are part of the reality of how the world runs. The world allows for a nimrod to have power. That's what Teva does. The world allows for an adversary of Avram to have power. Why? Why? Because there's so many concealments. So a person could function completely on a level of concealment. He did not budge even a drop. His inner dignity and faith could not be compromised and taken. He did not budge. He stood up against every obstacle. 
v'neged kol ha'alemas v'estedem and all the concealments v'holach li'asadav b'kivshu ne'esh v'le'elias nifrit chas v'shalom me'alakus kla lukla. He decided he will not separate himself at all even for a moment, klalu klal, from godliness, and if he has to pay the ultimate price for that, he's going to pay the ultimate price for that. That was his decision. Why? Because truth was the most valuable thing to him. And therefore, he will not surrender to falsehood. He will not surrender to the Weltanschauung of Nimrud. What happens? He saved. So how do you understand this? Do we understand this? Okay, it's a miracle that happened. When he withstood the Nisayan, what happened was he didn't worship, he didn't recognize as absolute the Levushe Hateva. He could remove them. By looking and staying with this Nisayan, he removes the garments of nature because they're really garments. These are all the garments and concealments that come from Elikim. So what he experienced in reality was the Eir of Ein Soif, which is infinite. And Mitzad the Eir Ein Soif, which is infinite, fire doesn't burn. Because it does, it's not rigid in its limit. Fire burns based on the limits of Tav Avamitzad Ein Sof Abilti Balgvul Eina Eish Soyd of Klal, but Mitzad the Bligvul the fire doesn't burn. They shame by Gederak Balakla because if Sheba Vaya was expressed, there could still be fire, but it's not fixed. V'zeh Sheba Legilu Ibrinus Ein Sof Abilti Balgvul Zau Dafkai De Shamad Binisayan. The lulas they said, "Ein Agaboylam Ade Gilu Shem Avaya Shabal De Shem Alakim." Usually the world runs through Alakim, which is an external ray of Avaya. It's the Nisoyen of Avram, which allowed him to touch Havaya beyond Alakim. What does it mean to withstand the Nisayan? That he did not surrender to the concealment. In other words, he pierced through the concealment. So you can experience the Eirein Tzayv Shalamayla Mikvul Hateva, which is beyond the, 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 which is beyond the Gvul of Teva, the finite nature. Why doesn't it burn? Ah? Well, it's not fixed by its nature. Like Belio Hanavi, with the fire can exist even with the water. The water doesn't extinguish the fire. What is it? You want to know what it looks like? No, what's the characteristics? Does that mean that it's fire? I get the miracle that it's still It's like how the teacher sees the the little, the little ray of knowledge that he gives the student. He, in that, he sees everything. So it's not any more limited. I once read an article from a Jew. His name is Professor Yaakov Brower. He's a neuroscientist. 
and an, and a uh, a professor of uh, of neuroscience and neurology in McGill University in Montreal for many many years. He's a chassid, a baltruva, I believe, from Boston. And uh, he wrote an interesting article that I once read. And he wrote that his first lesson in chassidus, he got when he was nine years old, even though it wasn't called chassidus. It was called a cartoon. He and his friends would spend Sunday afternoon in the theaters watching cartoons. They were, you know, Jewish kids in Montreal or wherever they were. From, I don't know, from traditional background or secular background. And he would spend Sunday afternoons in the theater. And he said one cartoon remained imprinted in his, uh, in his psyche. And maybe some of you have seen it as well. There's a particular cartoon where there is a uh, clever bird called the Roadrunner. And the Roadrunner is wise and clever and willy and sly and is being pursued by a particularly dumb coyote. And the coyote is always trying to catch the roadrunner and eat it for as a meal. But the roadrunner is always outsmarting it, and that's what makes the cartoon exciting. But Dr. Brower says in one particular cartoon, the coyote is chasing the roadrunner and about to get him. The roadrunner sees that there's a cliff at the end of the mountain, so he hides behind a rock. The coyote, who's so passionate and enthusiastic and eager to catch the roadrunner is just focused on one thing, I'm going to get you. So he runs and he doesn't see how the roadrunner hid behind the rock and just continues to run and of course runs straight off the cliff and is running and running and running and running and running and running and running in the cartoon and at some point realizes that the the roadrunner is gone, completely gone and he looks here and he looks there and he looks back. And he looks back and the roadrunner is like, <laughs> Hi. And suddenly he sees the distance from him and the roadrunner. And that there's a cliff. And suddenly the realization comes to him that he is suspended in mid-ear. And he looks down. And he looks down and he sees the distance. And he gives a screech, a, a scream, a huge holler and scream. And only then does he begin to fall. The cartoon was there to entertain children on Sunday afternoon in the 1940s or 50s in Montreal. But there is a profound message. The coyote doesn't begin to fall until it becomes aware of the fact that it's supposed to fall. The laws of gravity don't dictate its destiny, until it doesn't realize that it's supposed to be subjected to the laws of gravity. As long as the coyote is unaware that I'm supposed to fall, because there's no way a coyote is flying in mid-ear, I am not an eagle, and I'm not a hawk. As long as he is not aware that he is supposed to fall, he actually doesn't fall. The moment he becomes aware that this doesn't make sense. I can't be here. There's laws of gravity. I I can't be here. I just jumped off a cliff. That's when he actually has to fall. 
Okay, think about this, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll explore it more. <laughs> this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.